Hi, I'm Gainalyn Condi, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to talk to you about teaching one of my favorite general conference talks from the most recent October 2023 conferences. I um, am a Relief Society instructor in my ward currently, so this is literally my calling right now, and I'm so thrilled to have the invitation to share my teaching style and maybe inspire you to try to create an environment where there is vulnerable um, instruction and sharing by the spirit in your lessons. That's kind of my style as a teacher. It's my style. If you have um, ever seen me share content on social media or in one of the shows that I've hosted, or in my speaking events, I really value inviting the spirit to be present as we learn together through vulnerability and sharing. And sometimes it can be hard, you know, um, my husband and I taught primary for a couple of years before I was called to serve as a Relief Society teacher. And I have had the Relief Society teacher calling multiple times in my adult years. So I'm 52. And I think that was my first calling in college when I left home. And I've loved serving in that capacity. But I will be honest with you. I had been with this same primary class for two years teaching with my husband during COVID and we had grown really close with these kids and then they all graduated and went off to um, young men and young women's. And um, so when I got the call into Relief Society, I remember thinking, I don't know these women like I know their kids and I don't know what some of their needs are. I felt kind of disconnected from that. And and so I went in that first few lessons with a, a kind of a pattern that has developed as super effective for me and um, within my wheelhouse, maybe as a teacher and my style. And so maybe this is something that as I share with you, my my approach to teaching uh, the general conference talks that will help translate in your wards and your units and foster that sharing and vulnerability that I really value. I feel like if we're going to gather together on Sunday and sit in class and get ready with our church clothes and make the effort of getting our kids to school and, and church and, and all the doings that we do during the week, that Sunday effort um, really needs to be, in my mind, a place where our hearts are changed and we're inspired for the week ahead. And I've, I've sat in lots of classes where I come home and I feel like maybe the needle hasn't moved. And I've sat in a lot of classes where the teachers that have taught those classes or invited the discussion, the discussion actually changed how I see myself, how I see a situation in my life and the world. And for me, that's the power of being a teacher. And that's the power of using these general conference addresses to meet the needs of each individual unit or ward or community that you find yourself in. So the talk that I wanted to share, I believe, is one of the great landmark talks of all times. Um, and it was Sister Tamara Runia that the first counselor in the general young women's presidency um, spoke on Saturday evening session. And almost immediately, as soon as her talk was over, my phone was blowing up and people were messaging me um, individuals that are in mixed faith marriages, um, individuals that have had um, their children walk away, um, individuals that are feeling that sense of heaviness on their hearts and lack of hope. And 
at, at times the messages I was getting were from individuals that had really been struggling over the last year or so to even be in church, to even be in church meetings and church settings, because what I like to call the cake recipe didn't seem to be working for their families and their individual situations. And they were struggling with some hope. And and Sister Tamara Runia had given that like shot in the arm hope that I think we all need at various times. So I want to share some of the thoughts and questions. Uh, the pattern of teaching that I like to use to create discussion is I will do a handout that I print out old school on paper. That's just my style. I invite the people that come to class to take um, any leftover handouts to someone that they minister to and leave a note. Um, but but what I try to do on our Ward Facebook page and on our group me chat for Relief Society is share the questions that I'm going to be asking in our discussion that next Sunday so that people can kind of start ruminating on those questions. But on my handout sheet, I share the quote that I'm going to highlight for you and the question right on there. So no one has to like pull up on their phones where we're at in the talk. Everyone has it in front of them. And so when I ask for a volunteer, I number those quotes and those questions that correspond. So everyone kind of knows where we're headed. I also try to give the instruction when I teach that the spirit for me, God works in one eternal round. So sometimes when we teach classes and have discussions at church, we kind of want to move through the lesson. And so we ask the question and then move on. And I see the value in that. But what I often invite uh, the classes that I teach to consider is that if the spirit prompts you to share something and we're way past that point, God works in one eternal round and it's okay to go back and say, hey, I have a thought or an impression from question number two, even though we're on question number six, if that makes sense. So let's dig into this talk, seeing God's family through the overview lens. And I want to just share with highlights and questions, the questions that I'm going to use when I teach this actual talk. And I'm excited to see what this discussion brings because as a teacher, I feel like um, the women in my ward have, have kind of gotten used to me now after a few months of me teaching after being in primary of my style. And um, not everyone, you know, may connect with certain teachers and their styles. And that's, I think, the beauty of the diversity that we have in the gospel is that we get called to different callings and we get to grow in those callings. And we may have a different style when we teach. But for me, it's always about creating opportunities of vulnerability, authenticity, and sharing. And I believe those are the ingredients that the spirit can work magic with. But we as teachers need to sometimes show the example by our vulnerable sharing. And so when we hit some of those quiet lulls where um, I just had this situation last month when I taught, where I asked a question about um, making amends and resolving conflict with someone and the, the class went quiet. And so I had to pause for a little bit and I shared a really vulnerable experience regarding that question to try to get the conversation to go. And then someone else shared a really vulnerable experience. So the questions I'm going to share with you as we go through this talk are questions that I hope create that more vulnerable context so that the spirit can really individually meet our hearts. When our hearts get open 
not just our minds, then we go home different from these meetings and these gatherings. And to me, as a teacher, it's not just getting it up here, it's getting it to sink down here. And so that's where we have to create a safe environment where it's okay to be vulnerable. And I often remind um, the Relief Society sisters in the discussion that this is a safe space, that we're going to share vulnerable things. And because of that, it needs to feel like a protected, safe space. So let's jump in. Um, I love right here this first quote. I believe we can see, we can through the eye of faith zoom out and view ourselves and our families with hope and joy. That is kind of the thesis of her talk. That's kind of what you're going to kind of zoom back into, hopefully by the end, that there's this greater sense of hope or joy that your that your class will leave um, the discussion with. And I love, love, love that she goes on right here, right at the beginning to talk about the astronauts of Apollo 8 and how they are, when they're floating in space, they go back and they see this image of Earth while they're floating in space. And oftentimes that perception from astronauts astronauts creates a sensation that Sister Runya talks about. Um, I hope I'm saying her name right. With someone that has a very unique name like mine, I'm sensitive that sometimes I don't always pronounce things correctly, but um, I hope I'm saying her name right. The astronaut, she says, create this powerful sensation called the overview effect. And this is what she says. Viewing from a new vantage point changes everything. One space traveler said it reduces things to a size that you think everything is manageable. We can do this peace on earth. No problem. It gives people that type of energy, that type of power. And as humans, we have an earthbound point of view, but God sees the grand overview of the universe. He sees all creation, all of us, and is filled with hope. And I'm going to drive this point home throughout this whole talk that God is not panicked. We as humans with this earthbound point of view um, have a more panicked approach. Sometimes we don't always feel that hope that God has for all of his children. Um, if you'll recall at the end of this conference, we hear from President Nelson and he really talks about thinking celestial. And I'm not you know, teaching that talk specifically, but I think it's that same concept of sometimes we can quote another talk from the the same conference. And this would be a perfect example of where the prophet is also driving home this point that God is filled with hope for us. So here is the question. I would put this quote on your sheet, or maybe if you're more um, digitally minded and you have it up on the screen that once again, the reason I'm a fan for making the copies and using the paper is then sisters have the ability to take one to someone that's serving in primary or young women's or that they minister to or brothers in the same situation in the elders quorum and, and write a quick note and stick it in someone's door um, or stick it in the mail. If you don't live close by within um, your ward boundaries to let people know what was discussed that, that they may have missed. So here's the question. I would have put the quote, and then this is the, the um, question right up here. You can see what helps you have a God view in life, especially if you are navigating a difficult stewardship. So um, let me make that just a little bit bigger so that it's easier. I'm smaller and this is bigger. Here's the question that I would ask in this situation. And I've done it both ways where the question comes first and then the quote or on the paper, the quote comes first and the question is right after, but that gets everyone in the lesson on the same page. You're not worrying about, um, you know, what, 
people are seeing or not seeing and, and you're allowing them to have um, time to kind of ponder on that and then pause for a minute. This is where, especially if you're navigating a difficult stewardship, how can you stay in a space of hope and faith? So that's the first question and quote. The next one would be everything you and you and you, if you remember how she gave this talk, she was like, you and you and you are worried about, it's all going to be okay. And those and those who look with an eye of faith can feel that is going to be okay. And I think right here, this is where you're hoping at this point that people are starting to feel like where they're struggling or where they're not feeling hope is coming to their mind. So this was the question that I came up with. And you can take a version of this. Everything is going to be okay. This is the theme she's trying to teach. But what is it that you're worried about right now? And then pause. How can having a Christ-like focus change how you are seeing this quote-unquote worry? And this is where I love that the students get to teach, right? We get to share examples of how maybe here's a situation, maybe someone in the class is worried about a cancer diagnosis or struggles with a child or finances, how they have used a Christ-like focus to change that worry in their own lives and, and create space so that they have time to share that. And you're going to see as the teacher, how people are having a different reaction from different quotes. This is another quote that I just think is so great. He learned from experience that worry feels a lot like love, but it's not the same. She's telling about a time when she was a teenager making rough choices and how her dad kind of taught her that worry and love can sometimes feel the same, but that her dad had practiced zooming out for that like world view. And so this is a perfect time to ask this question. Worry feels a lot like love. What are your thoughts about that? And just keep it really open-ended. I mean, I know for me as a teacher and as a parent of adult children right now, my worry list can often feel like love. I just thought this was such a powerful teaching. And I think creating a space where you're creating unity and Zion in your classroom while giving space for your class members to share what they're really worried about. Here's another great, oh, teaching, powerful teaching. She, I, I would love, love to have this quote kind of in everyone's home where Lehi, she's talking about how Lehi, um, her dad exemplified Lehi's example. She said, he knew that you don't chase after your loved one who feels lost. You stay where you are and call them. You go to the tree, stay at the tree, keep eating the fruit. And with a smile on your face, continue to beckon to those you love and show by example that eating the fruit is a happy thing. Isn't that powerful? So powerful. So the question I would ask with that quote would be this, stay at the tree not chasing after someone you love? Is there a relationship where maybe you have chased after them, but now you're loving them and being an example instead by staying by the tree? Man, can you see what kind of conversations could happen in class? Um, this is where I love being in wards where there are people ahead of me on the trail, right? Where there are grandparents ahead of me because I'm not a grandparent yet and have them ex share examples where maybe they have chased after a loved one that they were worried about because they thought that was showing love. And then where they've learned how to sit by the tree, be an example, eat the fruit and be loving. She goes on to talk about Neil A. Maxwell and, and how his son talked about after Neil A. Maxwell passed away, that the thing you would miss the most is going to Sunday dinner at his dad's house. And I loved, loved, loved what was shared here, right? This, this is such a beautiful place where she talks about 
um, Sister Runier talks about her own grown children coming each week to Sunday dinner and how she used to focus on what she was going to tell them, things she wanted to remind them about, the worry list. And I have adult children and we host Sunday dinner, so I could totally relate to this. And she talks about a brief time where she was really focused on that. Instead, after hearing about Elder Maxwell's son, she tried to focus instead on the positive things. And soon after this, she gets really vulnerable in her talk and talks about her son, Ryan, passing away a few years later. And I just was weeping when she was saying this. She's talking about how she was so grateful that she had switched her lens and she had become more positive and happier. So the time together was more positive. So this is the question I would suggest Um, Those with adult children, what a perfect opportunity for the young moms or the people in your class, moms and dads that don't have children yet to hear from someone maybe ahead of them on the trail. What are ways you stay connected with your kids? I think we talk a lot about within our church examples of having family home evening and come follow me discussions. And that's great. But what a beautiful opportunity to have one generation share examples with another generation of what is to come. That would be just an example of how to foster some conversation and discussion in class. And then this quote, um, where she talks about where we do sometimes feel correcting is important. She says on rare occasions, we may feel prompted to correct, but most often, but most often let's tell our loved ones in a spoken and unspoken ways, the messages they long to hear our family. This is the message. Our family feels whole and complete because you are in it. You are, you will be loved for the rest of your life. No matter what man, oh man, I don't know a family around right now that isn't dealing with those that have walked away from faith or struggling with their covenant path and what a hopeful message what a pl- what a place to create within your wards where there's a discussion that creates that like everyone's shoulders relax and we all take a deep breath that we are worried that we do have kids or loved ones or spouses or siblings that we're worried about. And here is the message that they can go home with after a Sunday discussion that our family feels loved and whole and complete because you're in it. This is the question I would con- consider. When we correct with the spirit, now this isn't what Sister uh, Runye shared, but it's a principle that our family learned. And I think this is what she's trying to teach. When we correct, the spirit has to comfort. But when we comfort, the spirit can correct. Isn't that powerful? We learned that while serving in Nauvoo in the Nauvoo pageant, that when we as parents feel prompted to correct, great. But so often as parents, we want to go to the correcting first instead of the comforting. And when we go to the comforting, the spirit can do the the correcting. That's just a place in which maybe I would share that application and principle. Okay. This quote, there's so many great quotes. This whole talk is so amazing. Remember, families are a God-given laboratory where we are figuring things out. So missteps and miscalculations are not just possible, but probable. And wouldn't it be interesting if at the end of our lives, we could see that those relationships, even those challenging moments, were the very things that helped us to become more like our Savior. Each difficult interaction is a opportunity to learn how to love at a deeper level, a godlike level. So this is the question I would suggest. Families and relationships hold our greatest opportunities to feel joy and also sorrow. How is Sister Runye's teachings a comfort to you? And just sit back and see what happens. You know, this might be an opportunity where you don't know where the lesson is going to go. And you may just end right here. But what powerful teachings can happen when we get vulnerable and authentic with one another?
Um, she goes on to kind of end the talk here. We're almost done, but this quote here, I love, let's admit in a fallen world, there's no way to be a perfect spouse or parent, son or daughter, grandchild or mentor or friend, but a million ways to be a good one. Let's stay at the tree, partake of the love of God and share it by lifting the people around us as we ascend together. It's kind of a summary of what she shared. A question here, if you haven't gotten a lot of discussion or maybe people have been hesitant now, it's towards the end of your lesson and they're just starting to warm up. This is a great place to say, would someone read this quote and then just share what comes to your heart? Don't like hyper direct the discussion at this point, just let this be the place at the end where anything they can go back to something that they earlier felt, maybe they weren't feeling ready to share. And this is the place they can share it. And then in closing here, I want to just share this. Our hope changes the way we see themselves and who they really are. And through this lens of love, they will see who they will become. I think this is a beautiful place to talk again about this principle of hope versus worry. And maybe a place where you've interrupted the situation of worry with more hope and more love. And let each of the students or people in your class teach another example of where there was worry and they replaced it with hope and give those personal examples that really do invite the spirit. The adverse adversary does not want us or our loved ones to return home together. And because we live on a planet that is bound by time and a finite number of years, he tries to perpetuate a very real sense of panic in us. It's hard to see when we are zoomed in that our direction matters more than our speed. I think this is another place to kind of drive home that hopeful spirit and message. And this is where I would say again, God is not worried. Have you considered, this is what I would maybe teach as the teacher. We have a thousand years. Satan is the one who's panicked, but God is not panicked. Um, to let your, your class go home feeling this hope is such a powerful way in which we can gather. Um, another question I would ask with this quote here about uh, our temporal home is an opportunity to teach each other where that principle of faith shows up with the sometimes those feelings of fear. Remember in her talk where she talks about having one eye of faith and the other eye is weeping. And then she admits that on Tuesday, she was feeling that way. And sometimes when we teach faith, we make it about never feeling fear. And I think this is a place where we can kind of dispel that teaching that we do have fear. We do have anxiety at times. And then here at the end of this talk, it's such a powerful talk. This will be one of those weeks where I will really hope there's not a lot of um, discussions or announcements at the beginning, because I think this is one of those talks that can just foster so much connection and sharing. Love is the thing that changes our hearts. It's the purest motive of all and others can feel it. So this is where you can talk again about not quit. Don't quit trying. You know, this is where she quotes that famous quote that sometimes gets really misquoted. And I love that she corrects it. She says, no home is a failure unless it quits trying. And so this is about not quitting and that there's no failure if you don't quit trying. Isn't that hopeful? Um, earthly family, she says, we simply are doing what God has done with us, pointing the way and hoping our loved ones will go in that direction, knowing that the path they travel is theirs to choose. This is a great place to talk about agency. What happens when a loved one he hears this, this message of honoring 
their path and their choice. Um, this is where I would give an invitation to the class members to share this quote down here, this last one, where it's super hopeful about letting the light of Christ be in our eyes and letting our loved ones know that we love them and we're not worried about them and that Christ is the bright and morning star. This is where I would invite texting and bearing testimony. So this is where I would invite um, those in your class to think of someone that maybe needs to feel that gravitational pull of love and texting one of the quotes that feels hopeful and loving. And that's a way in which someone can do some action step right there in class. And then I love ending a, a lesson with a discussion where people are invited to just bear testimony. And there's been some powerful teachings where uh, I just recently taught a lesson where an early, early return missionary came home earlier than planned. And we were talking about a conference talk and, and it was Elder Bragg's Christlike Poise. And she bore testimony of why she had come home early. And I just think give space at the end to bear testimony because sometimes that's where the most powerful teachings happen. Thank you for letting me share, share with you um, this beautiful talk. I'm so grateful that we have have uh, teachings from modern living prophets and church leaders that invite more hope, especially for our family relationships. And I hope this question and pause and authentic sharing blesses you as you teach it in your units and your wards. Um, and thanks for and thanks for joining me on this discussion today.